Go to Romans chapter 2 in your Bibles, if you would. Romans chapter number 2. I was thinking about this as I'm getting ready to teach on this thing. We're going verse by verse through this chapter, as you know. I got thinking about how important it is to give you good doctrine. I was actually talking to somebody else about that this week, and they mentioned that, I mentioned in the preaching that when you doctrinally understand your Bible, that it does make more sense when you read it devotionally. And, uh, and, and after that thought, and when I was preparing here, I got thinking about it. It's really important. How many of you have ever had a burden for lost souls? Let me see your hand. Once you got saved, you know somebody not saved. That's a blessing. Look at you. It shows by the way you bring people to church. It shows by the way you witness. Um, it, it's amazing to me to see what God does and how God does it. Over here at the wedding on, on Saturday, and uh, one of Christian's friends walks in, and he smiles when he looks at me, and I'm like, I think I've seen him before. He said, uh, I'm Zade's brother. You guys remember Zade? He flew in from somewhere in the Middle East and landed at the airport and ran home and dropped his suitcase off and came to church. A guy I used to train jiu-jitsu with. Um, good friend of mine, traveling all over the country. How, how, how in the world could something like that happen if that wasn't God connecting those dots, man? Uh, I'm Zade's brother. Like, what in the world? Friends of Christian. Uh, God's working, man. And when you're not ashamed of the Lord and you're not ashamed to talk about Him, that's a great thing. You and I ought to have a burden for souls, but, but wait a second. How many of you ever, don't raise your hand on this one, especially if you're called to preach, you feel a, a, a extreme amount of pressure, like souls are dying and going to hell, and i got to do more, 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 right? My preacher always said this, and it stuck with me and it's helped me because it was true. The devil will get behind you when you're going the right direction. He'll get behind you and he'll start pushing you in the right direction faster than you're ready to go. So he can push you right off the cliff. Even in a good thing. Souls are dying and going to hell all over the world. You realize that right now? You realize that I I believe that God is still calling preachers to preach. You don't have to have an official gift and calling to be the pastor of a church or to preach and teach the Bible from a pulpit. You don't have to have that official calling to be a preacher of the gospel, meaning to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors, to your co-workers. You don't have to know all the doctrine there is to know to tell somebody what Jesus did for you. See, that's why we've been seeing so many people saved. Uh, uh, Mika came in my office after the afternoon service and trusted Christ as her Savior, 10 years old. Her mom and dad came in with her. I forgot to tell you that. Uh, what a blessing, man. And, uh, and Andre, Andre wants to get saved too. And they said, he's not ready. She is. Go away. We'll, we'll know when you're ready. You go away. They said, he's not ready, preacher. I said, okay. When you say he's ready, he's ready. If he's not ready, he's not. Your mom and dad, and you know. But that little girl was ready. You know, it's great. I'm about 100% sure that she got saved in Sunday school about two or three weeks ago when Brother Dan was preaching to him and uh, giving him the Sunday school lesson. And she said, I bowed my head right there and asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. And she did it again in the office just to be sure. But the way she prayed, I'm pretty sure she was already saved and did it a couple weeks ago. That's a blessing to see. Uh, souls are getting saved around here, and you all look at me and say, Oh, Pastor, let him to Christ. Thank you, Pastor. And man, I appreciate it. I, I love the fact that you appreciate what I do. I, I mean it from my heart. But man, a lot of the people I led to Christ, I'd have never led to Christ if you didn't bring them in. 
Preacher, I don't know what to tell them and I don't know where to turn, but you brought them to church. You just told them what you knew about God and what God's done for you. You don't have all the answers in the Bible. You don't know all the doctrine yet, but you know what God did for you. And so you're bringing people to church and what a blessing that is. I believe this, that, you know, I was a part of it. Sure, I did my job and I don't know how God sees all that or how he's going to reward it. But I'm 100% sure that when you get to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, if you brought them to church and they wound up getting saved, even if I'm the one that technically led him to Christ, I'm 100% sure there are going to be stars in your crown in heaven. That's going, to be, that's going to be the precious stones to your account. You can call yourself a soul winner. Well, I didn't turn to the verses with them. You brought them. The woman at the well just went and said, come see a man that told me all things whatsoever I did. Is not this the Christ? That's all she said, and they came out. And, and I think that's a great thing to have a burden for souls. But here's the thing. You've got to understand that God's got it all under control. It is extremely important before you pack up and go to some mission field somewhere, or before you say, God's called me to preach, I'm going to go hang out a shingle and start a church. It's extremely important that you slow down and take time to prepare. Learn your Bible. And realize that God Almighty has those souls fully under His control. Now, I'm not saying that from a Calvinistic standpoint, that He's picking and choosing who does and doesn't get saved. They have a free will. And how shall they hear without a preacher's in the Bible? But I'm going to show you as we go through here that God knows what He's doing, and God will not allow anybody to go to hell that's in the process of genuinely seeking God. When God sends a soul to hell, He does that justly. I am so up to here with people that want to like get some kind of a calling or some kind of a feeling or whatever, and then they think that that makes them, because I'm called, that makes them ready to get in the pulpit and preach at everybody else. Now, I'm not being a jerk right now. Trust me when I say this, and please don't be a harsh judge of me when I'm harsh, because sometimes there's a reason I'm being harsh and it's not you. Learn to shut up. Don't walk in somewhere and start thinking that you're equipped to preach at everybody and lecture everybody. How, how can you be a good leader if you've never learned to follow? How can you actually have the respect of people that they'll sit down and say, yes, teach me and I'll listen, if you've never sat down and were taught and listened? You have to prove that you're able to lead, prove that you're able to teach by learning first. <laughs> It blows my mind how all these churches nowadays are just like trying to make everybody leaders and everybody's a preacher and everybody's a counselor and everybody's the captain of some small group and everybody's supposed to be doing it. We're all like, well, what do you think it means? What do you think it means? What do you think? Where is the biblical precedent of teaching and preaching the Bible and learning before you get called to do something? What career do you find where anybody operates on a high level or a professional level that they don't first spend some time sitting down and training? Let me ask you a question. Is there little kids all over this world with brain tumors? Yeah, I know one personally. Does that break your heart? Something needs to be done about that, right? You got a burden for that? I want to be a brain surgeon. Okay, great. Here's a saw. Here's some whiskey. Don't start cutting heads open and getting the tumors out. You would never let a brain surgeon operate on your child like that. What do they do first? They go to school. They sit down and listen to somebody that's been doing it for years, talk to them about how to get it done the right way, and teach them what they learn, and then they have a little bit of oversight when they go through residency and all that kind of stuff. It's a long process for something... As simple 
as a human body that's going to die and go to a grave anyway eventually. Don't you think what we're doing is more important when you're dealing with eternal souls of men? This is a lot more important. So here's the thing. I'm glad you got a burden for souls. I believe with all my heart that some of you fellows are called to preach, and it would not shock me one bit if God eventually puts you somewhere on a mission field or in a pulpit pastor in a church somewhere, and it would be nothing more. It would be, a, it would be an unbelievable joy to me if God allows me to be a part of helping you with that. I think it's a great thing. A sense of urgency for souls is important. But if you won't do it now while you're sitting in this pew, you won't do it when you're in a pulpit somewhere. You see what I'm saying? What I, what I get help from when I look at this is I realize that God knows what He's doing. And I can't be everywhere on the planet, but God put me where I'm at. I have some responsibilities. I got some people I got to meet with this week that I don't believe are saved. I got an appointment to sit down and talk to them. That's a soul God put on my lap. And I'll show you why as we go through here. Look at verse number 1. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore thou art an excusable old man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Now, when we looked at chapter 1, we looked at the Gentiles without the law and how God wrote in their conscience and in creation the law of God. So they don't have a law. But in their conscience, they know right and wrong naturally. And we showed you how when they don't like to retain God in their knowledge, they don't like conviction, they don't like somebody telling them they're wrong, they don't like authority, that they push God away, and as they push God away, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. So when they have the witnesses already there with no law, no religion, there was no Old Testament law for the Gentiles talked about in chapter 1 of the book of Romans. What he's saying is, God naturally, instinctively put in them, you're not supposed to commit fornication, you're not supposed to commit adultery, you're not supposed to murder, you're not supposed to steal, you're not supposed to lie. It's naturally in them, in all cultures they know it. And that you ought to be praying to something bigger than yourself. So they're worshiping the sun god, the god they don't know, they worship whatever. Well, as they get that conscience, as they have God working on them and they don't want to retain God, they have a religion they prefer, a religion they like, a way they do things, and the truth is given to them, and they don't want the truth, they push the truth away. The more you do that, and the more you resist the Spirit of God, and the more you push truth away, the more angry God gets. We'll see that in chapter 2. And one of the worst things God can do is give you over to a reprobate mind. In other words, God says, fine, I'm going to quit dealing with you. And just let you go your way. And the result of that in Romans chapter 1 was homosexuality, murder, anarchy, and on and on and on it goes where it stops, nobody knows. Worshiping, people worshiping animals, it's a complete usurpation. It's a, it's a usurping of all authority and all structure that God placed. And as a result of them pushing God away, God gives them over and everything gets turned completely upside down where you got nothing but an absolute mess. And God says that they're worthy of judgment. When you come to Romans chapter 2, now he switches shoes. What God's dealing with in Romans chapter 2 is the self-righteous Jew that thinks that they get salvation by the law. So if you understand that as we go through here, it's going to help you a lot. The spiritual application of the second chapter is this. It's self-righteous Christian people, I say Christian people, in quotes, who think that they get their salvation by their religion. 
my good works outweighing my bad works. Okay, well, that would be an application of this. But doctrinally speaking, in Romans chapter 2, he's dealing with a self-righteous Jew who uses the law to say that I'm spiritual and I'm better than the Gentiles. So what he says in verse 1 of Romans chapter 2, he's going to show you that the law ought to lead you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says, you're inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. So what he's saying is, okay, Jew, you look at the Gentiles and the fornication that they're committing, and you say, well, we keep the law and we don't commit fornication. But Jesus showed up and said, yeah, but if a man look on a woman and lust after her, he committed adultery already in his heart. Well, I never stepped out on my wife, but look at that guy who does. Yeah, you think you're so much better than him. When you look at the law and understand the law and you realize what God's rules are and then you look at yourself honestly, you might have never committed the act, but God said if you did it in your heart, you did it. So you're inexcusable if you judge. Now here's what the liberals do with this stuff and a lot of them are Christians, liberal Christians. They know verses like Romans chapter 2 verse 1. They know like, judge not that ye be not judged. Folks, this thing is talking about a lost man judging another lost man based on his religious super-spirituality. And God says, when you do that, when you look at him and say, he must not be saved, but I am. My works are so good, his works are a mess. He said, you're inexcusable when you judge another because you condemn yourself because the fact that you're pointing at that person and recognizing all their faults, flaws, sins, shortcomings, and failures means that you know what sin is and you recognize it in other people, but you fail to see it in yourself. You think you're the God. God judging everybody else. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it for being a self-righteous, judgmental Christian, making an application. You look at what everybody else does with their kids and you can pick out how they, what they need to do and how they need to do it, even if you've never been there, but you can't see your own. You look at everybody else's marriage and you can tell everybody what they need to do and you're there to counsel everybody because you're vast like life experience, but you can't see what you're doing in your own marriage. Be careful about being too judgmental. But here's the thing. You are commanded in your Bible to judge. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This doesn't mean that we walk around like, you know, beating up on lost people or beating up on each other. Just made that point. Uh, Aren't you glad you serve a gracious God? Aren't you glad that your Heavenly Father sees your faults and chooses to overlook them? You can't do that for each other? Think about that for a minute. You can't do that for your spouse? Look, I, I know as parents that we, we have to discipline our kids. Please, I'm begging you. I mean, I'm just saying. Right? Don't we? But that doesn't mean you have to be an ungracious parent. When other people's kids are acting up, would you just please leave them alone? Especially if they're under five. Give people time. Give kids time. My word, man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. It doesn't say all people right there, it says all things. You mean as a Christian I'm supposed to be judgy? Well, this ain't Planet Fitness. (laughs) Yeah, you're supposed to judge. 
Would you be in your right mind if you came in here and sat down and a guy got in a pulpit and opened up a Bible and you didn't open up and turn to those passages and check what he's saying and ask God, is this the truth? What, are you going to just drink the Kool-Aid everywhere you go? You should be judging. And everybody's okay with judging the preacher, but nobody else wants to ever be judged. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. Did you ever step back and say, how are we doing with our kids? How are we doing with our viewing habits? How are we doing with the kids' phones? How are we doing with our standards as a family? How am I doing in my walk with Christ? You ought to be judging all things. Look at another passage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. No, excuse me, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 5. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Notice that. We ain't talking about somebody committing a criminal offense. You know, Jack Legs will use this passage to say that when somebody commits a criminal offense, you don't take it to the cops. You don't take it to the law. I will, by the grace of God, I will never brush that stuff under the carpet. I don't care what the Catholic Church does. I will absolutely call the police in an absolute heartbeat. You're not supposed to go to the law with a brother. It says a brother, not a pervert. Amen. Stinking, abusive. I mean, I just can't take it, man. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world and of the world, and if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? So you got, you got some kind of a civil suit, and you're going to take somebody to court and church over it. Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. He's being sarcastic. How do I know that? Look at the next verse. I speak this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, no, not one that shall be able to judge between the brethren? You mean we're supposed to judge in church? Yeah, you are. You don't walk around being judgmental all the time. There's an issue going on and something has come up and it's got to be dealt with. Man, that's one of the worst parts of being a pastor. Honestly, when something has to... And brother, sister, you, if you've been here any length of time, you know I don't mess with it until I have to. Until I have to. I want, I want people to come and stay and grow. I hate it when people leave and say stupid things, which is a complete lie, like you can't be a sinner and go to that church. You don't even know what you're talking about. It grieves me at my heart that somebody be so stupid as to say that. Nobody believes them. That's okay when they say it, because nobody in their right mind believes them. I'm not running around trying to judge everybody, but when the thing gets that bad and it gets that big, somebody's got to take care of it. Not supposed to judge. Really? There's one in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, I just saw the reference. Now I don't know where it went. Go to, uh, go to chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Oh yeah, 5, 19 through 13. We'll come back in a minute. Go to 10. Look at verse 15. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Paul is saying you should judge the preacher. 
Judge not that you be not judged. Where'd you get that from, man? You don't, you're taking a verse out of context and you don't even know who it's talking to or what it's talking about and you're misapplying that thing. Christians, you ought to be judging. I didn't say you should be a judgmental, arrogant, self-righteous jerk. I didn't say you're the, you're the judge and jury in everybody else's life. I'm saying that as Christians, we ought to sit back and evaluate things, and we ought to judge things. And when I open up the Bible, you should open up that book and make sure that what I'm saying is from the Bible. I don't mind you judge me at all on what I teach and preach, at all. I, I won't even prepare. Come sit down, write a list, prepare, get ready for me, and then sit down across to me and say, I got questions for you. And I'll walk in completely unprepared, not knowing what's coming, and I'll answer for everything I believe and everything I stand for and everything I teach. That's fine. Why? Because we go by the book around here, so we're not intimidated by that. We believe the Bible, and we stand on the Bible, so there's nothing for me to worry about. You go ahead and judge what I say, and then you leave and go to another church, and you sit down and judge what he says. When he tells you something, did he show it to you from the Bible? Is he giving you tradition, or is he giving you Bible? Is he giving you the truth? Or is he some kind of religious guy, or running off of feelings, or manipulating your emotions, or trying to make you happy and tickle your ears? Look at the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 11. We're looking at judging. Look at verse 31. Here's a good one. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let, us, let him eat, eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. That's judgment. <laughs> You know one of the best things you can learn to judge? Yourself. You should, you should daily have a time when you get on your knees between you and God and say, God, where am I off? God, what am I doing wrong? And you should, have, I mean, it's part of your confession. You should have confession time. Not because you're trying to stay saved. Not because you're worried about losing your salvation. Because your relationship with your Heavenly Father matters. And God will fellowship with a man who has sin in his nature but he'll never fellowship with a man who has sin in his heart. Judge yourself. Why? You don't want God to judge you, do you? The Bible says, and you're judged, you're chasing to the Lord. That's a scary thing. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I know you don't get this in church nowadays. All you're going to hear is, well, you know, hellfire and damnation people, they're always trying to... Well, I get it when they got the wrong spirit about it. I've seen that. I get it when it's like, you know, the advertisement is the meanest preacher in America. I don't want that reputation. I'm a pastor. I want people to know, like, hey, you can go to pastor. You can ask pastor. He's not going to stink and beat on the desk and, you know, he's easy to talk to. I want people to know I love him. But I'm not going to, I don't want to be some wishy-washy, mealy-mouthing, tiptoeing preacher either. I want to give you the truth. Yeah, you know, hellfire and damnation. Look, <laughs> If you don't, Bible tells you if you don't, if you spare the rod and you don't love your son, right? You don't love him if you spare it. Does God love you? Yes. So he's going to discipline you when you get out of line. That's a bad thing. The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. It's not the end. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So the fear of God's a good thing to get you on the right path. And when you're on the right path, you start developing that relationship. And you're not sitting around like, oh, this horrible hellfire and damnation God. Like, huh? Judge that. Ju judge that kind of stuff. Judge it when people's like, well, I don't believe in hellfire and damnation. Why not? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 5, look at verse 9. 
I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. So what he's saying is, I'm not trying to tell you that you can't you know, speak to them, and you've got to run from them, and you can't work with them. He said, you're going to have to go out of the world. It's the same thing Jesus said when he said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou wouldest keep them from the evil that is in the world. So this is the kind of verses that the Mennonites and the Amish and some of the other cults and stuff will use to say, you need to come out of the world and get on our compound and have no connection to the world and cut off all connection with your family and all that. That's cult stuff. That's something's wrong with that guy. And he'll always wind up going after their money and their women. Every time. That's, that's bad stuff. God doesn't tell you to come out of the world. God tells you not to company with them. So if you're not doing anything Friday night, and what you're going to do is you're going to hang out with a bunch of people smoking dope and fornicating, you're in the wrong crowd. You're supposed to judge that stuff. You're supposed to say, I, I shouldn't be hanging out here. Well, I want to see him saved. You know, what if I get a Coke when I go to the bar with my buddies and I, I'm not going to drink, I'm going to get a Coke. Look, carry your Bible in there. Guys, I'm coming to hang out with you. Just sit down at the bar, open up your Bible. Let's talk about Jesus. You know, see how long your buddies want to hang out with you. Why isn't that, why is that, why did you all laugh? Why is that not going to work out? Because the spirit of that environment has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of the word of God. So what business do you have doing that, being there if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you want the truth, and you love the Word of God? Why would you be there? What's going to happen to you in that environment? Sooner or later, evil communications corrupt good manners. It doesn't work the other way around. Somebody told us years ago, I want my kids to hang out with your kids because you got such good kids. And I said, heck no. First of all, this ain't a rehab. This is my family. Second of all, my kids are sinners. You think I want your little sinners dragging my little sinners down? Why don't you get a brain and raise your own kids? Amen. And quit worrying about whether mine are good or not. What's that got to do with yours? Amen. So in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 5, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. See it? If any man that is called a brother. He's not saying you can't work with lost people. I got some lost people that call me their friend. When they see me, they run over and want to talk to me. And we stand and talk however long they want to talk. Because we always try to get it around to the gospel or the Lord or something like that. And I'm their friend. Wasn't Jesus Christ a friend of sinners? Yeah. Ain't that what they're going to throw up in your face whenever they're like, why won't you come over and hang out with us? You don't have to smoke dope while we do. Well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Ain't it funny the Bible verses they know? They don't know the whole counsel of God. They can't turn to the other references. They can't give you the balance. They can't tell you what it was talking about, what was in the context, what led up to it, what was after it, who it was speaking to. But they always got these little verses they can pull out all of a sudden. Kind of like Lucifer was with Jesus, you know, when he wanted a temple. He's just got some Bible verses at the top of his mind. When you got a brother in the church that wants to be part of the church, and he's a fornicator, he's covetous, he's an idolater, he's a railer, you know, losing your temper and yelling at somebody in church. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, forgive me if you're older than me or my age or whatever, but I think it's okay to say, I'm kind of like daddy here. You understand what I mean? Like, I, I know...
people stories that other people don't know. And I'm praying every day for, for everybody. I, I hope you all do, but I, I kind of doubt anybody's quite as tuned in as I am, and you're not supposed to be. That's not me being like I'm all that and you're not. It's my job, right? It's my calling. It's what I'm supposed to be doing. I sure don't like it when I see somebody getting on somebody else. How do you feel, Mom and Dad, when you see your kids going at it? Try to just walk by and let them figure it out, you know what I mean? But comes a point sometimes where you're like, hey, knock it off. How many of you would let one of your kids become a nuisance to the rest of the family? Don't raise your hand. Because if you got that problem, you need to fix it. <laughs> you ain't running the show the little brat is. Yeah, you don't want to let a brother be, be a part of this thing and be chewing other people out and getting in other people's faces and being the little Holy Spirit and preaching to everybody, telling everybody what they got to do. It's my job to preach. I'm sorry. I know people don't like that. Well, tough. It's, it's just, that's just how it is. You, know, you just can't put up with that stuff. Or a drunkard. Or an extortioner. You have, you have no idea how many people that are drunkards. That's what God calls them. They, nowadays they say, I'm an alcoholic. You know, but, but God calls them a drunkard. I get all the science behind it. Trust me, I know. I, I, I know you might not think it. You think I'm a little you know, rosy-cheeked preacher boy. But I know. I realize how bad it is. I realize people can die trying to come off of it. I know people who have. Found them laying in their feces in the apartment, dead. Barely older than me. I know how bad it is. I'm all about getting people help and sending them to the homes and whatever needs to be done. But you know what God calls it? Drunkenness. It's a sin. There's lots of excuses for it. I get it, man. I've sat out in the middle of the woods with a guy back from Iraq friend of mine I knew in high school. I mean, for hours, no, no electricity, no nothing. Five-gallon jugs of water sitting out in that trailer. Big old bushy beard ex-Marine. He, he killed himself eventually. I know how bad it is. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's a sin. You shouldn't be medicating yourself with that stuff. You got a Holy Spirit of God who's called the balm of Gilead. He'll heal your soul. He'll help you with your trauma. In church, it's drunkenness. You know, how many time, you know how many years I've had people in church that struggled with alcohol while they were here and I knew about it and they knew about it and I tried to help them with it for years? Didn't run them out of church. You know why? You know why? They weren't walking around the company of the church shoving their sin in everybody's face. They weren't bragging about being out partying at the bar. They had some issues, man. They had problems. And they were ashamed of it and they were trying to get help. And they have a pastor to help them with stuff like that. Do you see that? Do you see what I'm saying when we're talking about judgment? It doesn't mean you become an idiot. I have always had smokers in this church. You shouldn't smoke. It won't send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've been there. <laughs> It'll kill you. It's bad for you. It's not a great testimony. Please don't do it on the property. But it's wrong. You see, you see how this thing is being taught? He says somebody's an extortioner with such a one, know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? What about the lost people? What are you worrying about the lost people for? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And in 15, almost 16 years, that's only happened a couple of times where somebody's made it public and we had to do something about it. And I hate it to this day. 
but you make it public and you won't repent of it, and you rub it in other people's face, and you try to get other people involved in it, and we're not going to stand for that. Well, God made every weed that he feels, man. It's legal now, dude. It's drugs. It's drugs. No. No, you're not going to be able to walk around this church and tell people preacher knows about it and it's okay now that it's legal. You're not going to be able to tell our teens that. No! I'm against that stuff. I've seen what it does to people. You're inexperienced when you think that stuff. Look at John chapter 7, please. And then we'll get back in Romans and get a few more verses under our belt tonight. I'm getting off to a slow start, I know. John chapter 7. Look what Jesus Christ says about judgment. He says, Judge not according... Verse 24. John seven twenty four. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Huh. You know what we all do? We judge according to appearance. You look at somebody and you size them up and you don't give them a gospel track. Let, let me put it this way. Some people, you know, you, you would say, you know, you look at the biker and, you know, not, not really. You know how we really do it? How we really do it is? A guy pulls in in a Bentley. Gets out of the Bentley in a $2,000 suit. A, a, a friend of mine sent me a link to a shoe website. He's like, I know you like shoes. The cheapest ones on there were like $450. Like, I don't know what you think my budget is, man, but that's like the other ones were like $1,200. i am like, man, these are sweet. <laughs> hey, look, and I don't need shoes like that. I couldn't wear them because every time I scuffed them, I'd be trying not to lose my salvation. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a joke. I can't lose it. I know. The guy's wearing $1,200 shoots and a $2,000 suit and pulls in in a Bentley. He's got a Rolls on. Or a, not, a, not a Rolls. What's a? Rolex. Rolex, thank you. <laughs> He's got a Rolls on. A big dude, man. He's got a Rolex on. And you won't give them a gospel track when the Spirit of God says, give them a gospel track and bottom of church. Ah, then the Bible verses start in your mind. All the poor heard him gladly. You judgmental jerk. You judged according to appearance. You see that? You think, you think rich people aren't, aren't needing Jesus? You think there aren't some rich people out there that got everything the world has to offer and they're miserable and they're functional alcoholics in the background? Because all that money is doing them nothing. They can't hardly hold their marriage together. Their kids want nothing to do with them. They don't know where their kids are half the time and all the rest of that. Everybody's using them for their money. Don't judge according to appearance. Judge righteous judgment. Back to Romans chapter 2. So I just want to throw that in there because people misread the Bible when they read it. This guy is inexcusable because he's a lost Jew and he's judging the Gentile according to his law. And God's saying, according to your law, you're guilty. Verse 2 of Romans 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? So what he's saying is, yeah, you're right when you judge them. You look at them and you're judging according to truth. But you think you're going to escape? You ain't escaping. Everybody has got an appointment with God. It is appointed on a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. 
I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've accomplished. I don't care how smart you are or how dumb you are. Excuse the word. I could care less. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how broke you are. Every one of us has an appointment with God. And you better hope that appointment's the judgment seat of Jesus Christ because that's a judgment for saved people. Every saved people is going to appear before that judgment and give account of himself. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your brother or sister in Christ. Account of himself to God. Every one of us. And if you don't appear at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, you're appearing at the great white throne judgment. And if you're alive right now and you appear at the great white throne judgment, you go to the lake of fire for eternity. But every human being has that appointment. Look at verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You know why God's so good to some lost people? <laughs> I talked to somebody today telling me how good God's been to him. And I was I was I was ready for this message. God's been so good to me. Can I tell you something? Don't just assume that because God's being good to you, it means you're good. When somebody says, God's been really good to me, and I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that, and I do this, I'm like, are you despising the goodness of God? Ask them that. What? No, I mean, God's good to me. And what You gave me the list of things that you do as to why God's good to you. Did you ever stop and think about all the ways you've offended God? You know why God's, you know, Christians have a hard time with this. Why is God so good to lost people? Well, I know Christians that are suffering. You're watching these filthy Hollywood people and all the stuff that they do, and yet they seem to keep getting blessed, and they keep getting richer and richer, and they're rich and famous, and they're filthy in their lives. Why has God let that happen? Do you know every good thing God does for them is stored up against the day of judgment? Why has God put Christians through hard times? Because God looks at you and knows what you need. He will never put hard times on you as a believer that will ruin you. He only allows them to draw you closer to Him. Look at Psalms chapter 18 real quick. Keep your finger here in Romans 2. We'll be back in a minute. Look at Psalms 18. It's funny how God laid this out because Sunday morning, uh, some of that's going to go with this. Psalm chapter 18 and look at verse 35, please. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up. Watch this. I love this verse. And thy gentleness hath made me great. David was a great man. You know what he recognized? Anything good that's come out of my life is because God's been gentle, gentle to me. Now how about that for a hellfire and damnation, a fire and brimstone preacher? which I am, because it's real. But that same God, that'll judge you. That same God I just told you a few minutes ago will whoop you when you do wrong. You know what else that God does? He's gentle with you. Ain't God been good to you? Yes, sir. Man, I look at this church and it doesn't look like much to people, especially nowadays with the contemporary church movement and the mega church movement and all that stuff. But preaching the way I preach... And all the rest of that, I mean, I just never imagined that after this many years we'd be packed on a Wednesday night like this. I mean, it's 
there's still room, but we're pretty full. Have to make parking lot announcements. On, I never imagined. Do you know why, you know why this has happened? Because God's overlooked so much about me. And you know what else? I'm going to say this. I think it's appropriate to say, you do too. Don't you? Come on, be honest. If you really wanted to get offended, I'm 100% sure that in about a month for sure I could do enough to make you want to leave. Ain't you, ain't you glad God's gentle with you? Yes. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. God's good to lost people. And sometimes it makes Christians mad. But God don't expect out of them what He expects out of you. So He lets you go through hard times because He wants to purify you. He wants to make you more like Jesus Christ. He wants you to learn the comfort of the Holy Ghost. He wants you to fellowship with the sufferings of your Savior. Ecclesiastes 7 and look at verse 14. This is a verse that I read through my Bible years ago. And this one stuck out at me. I memorized it. I never forgot it. It says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Has God been good to you? Yes. Enjoy it. Got a nice car? Yes. Enjoy it. Got a Harley? Sorry, Johnny, couldn't resist. <laughs> Mike? Enjoy it. Like, oh, he got a Harley. You're just jealous, man. <laughs> hey, God giving you some stuff? Yes. Great. Don't feel guilty about it. Souls are dying and go to hell and you want a Harley? Yeah? <laughs> boom, 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 you know? God gave it to me and I'm very thankful for it. God's done some good things for us. Enjoy the good times. But in the day of adversity, consider. Yeah, bad times come too. You know what God wants you to do in the bad times? He wants to make you stop and think. Now watch this. God has set the one over against the other. God puts ups and downs in your life to the end that man should find nothing after him. <laughs> Everything's going great! How long have you been around? Because after a while, you ever get around somebody whose old person's kind of jaded? <laughs> They got all the blessings in the world and they're not enjoying them. <laughs> well, learn to be joyful. We'll talk about it more Sunday morning because it's in Psalm 92. Learn to be joyful. But after you've been around a little while, you don't, your highs don't get quite so high. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to be careful that your lows don't get too low either. Because when the lows are there, God's just hitting the skids on you for a minute so that you'll stop and you'll realize God has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. I'm telling you, the only thing worth living for in this life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Back to Romans chapter 2. Well, we're going we're gonna to stop. Uh, no, give me, give me uh, two more minutes here. So God is good to these people that are, that are escaping the judgment of God for now. Not for permanent. They're not escaping. Because God's uh, trying to bring them to repentance. Now look at verse 5. So their response to God's goodness is after thy hardness and impenitent heart. That's like America. Rich and a great economy doing really good. And what do you find in this country? The last, what was the last great generation? World War II, right? 
what happened right after the Great Depression and World War II. You, you know the story. They got busy working. That generation is saying, I don't want my kids to suffer like I did. Waste not, want not. Eat your leftovers. Save your money. You never know when a depression is coming. And the following generation was the baby boomers, right? That was my mom and dad. They say that was the generation that destroyed America, but I don't think so. I think it was the great generation that got so busy working, trying to not go through poverty again, that they forgot to invest in their kids. And then the baby, baby boomers went nuts, and from there you've seen what's happened to this country right down the tube. And the devil's got it figured out. The Laodicean church is the modern-day church. It's rich, increased with goods, and has need of nothing. Not even Jesus Christ. Not even a close walk with him. Don't you preach the Bible at me. Give me grace and love and Jesus. Don't you tell me the truth. Don't you judge me. Don't you expect nothing of me. Let's have a beer on Friday night and do a little Jesus thing on Sunday morning and we're all cool. My walk, what's what walk with Jesus Christ? What are you talking about? The Bible's written by men. There's errors in the Bible. I don't need to learn the Bible. Why, why preach the Bible at me? A hard and penitent heart is followed in verse 5 by the goodness of God in verse 4. It's human nature. That's why God gives you downs, Christian. And you sit back and get mad at God when He makes your life hard sometimes. gives you disappointing news. You think it's a coincidence that our deacon's wife is having surgery and our other deacon's wife's in chemotherapy? And you think it's a coincidence? That's people God loves. That's what He does. He trusts them with burdens. That's people He knows that when He gives them a valley, they'll get deeper through it and stronger through it. And they'll come out of it closer to Him, and that's why He allows it. Because He loves you. But when all it is is spoil them, spoil them, spoil them, spoil them. Don't make them do anything. Don't make them do anything. Spoil them, spoil them, spoil them, spoil them. You ruin them. Go weed the garden, brat. <laughs> Amen. Yes, Treasure us up to thyself against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So what's happening is they're, they're, they're building up a bank account with God that's going to pour out on their head a judgment. Who, who will render, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So when you're faithful to God in the down times, God's going to pay you back for that. Let me just say, I really do believe he pays you in this life, but those aren't the promises. The promises are the next life. That's what we're living for. But folks, God is awful, awful good to pay us back even in this life too. Now watch this last, last verse for tonight, verse 7. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor immortality, comma, eternal life. Wait a minute. Now, if you're a surface reader and you don't compare Scripture with Scripture and you don't study context, that can look like a works-based salvation, can't it? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, you self-righteous Jew under the law. When you're under that law and you're judging the Gentiles and everybody else as though you're not guilty, God's going to get you. 
when you don't want to get right with God, care to be right with God, you think you're all perfect and you don't recognize you're a sinner and you won't humble yourself under the hand of God and admit God's right and you're wrong and come to the goodness of God, God's going to get you. But the contrast, there's patient people who are patiently continuing in well-doing because they don't know the truth yet. All they know is creation and conscience. In this case, all they know is the religion that they were given, the law that they have, the words of God as they've been taught it by false teachers, by the wrong teachers. They don't understand yet the full truth. So when somebody's heart is responding to the truth that they know and they're patiently continuing in seeking God, they're looking for glory and honor and immortality. They're saying like, look, I, I want to do right. And I want, I'm looking for glory and honor and immortality. I want eternal life. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. That person, God will see that heart and God will lead them to the truth of the gospel. Just like God will lead the person, the Gentile in chapter 1 that obeys creation and conscience, God will lead them to the gospel when they obey the truth they know. Same thing with the religious person. When they're obeying the truth that they know, God will lead them to more truth. When you accept the light that God gives you, God will give you more light. When God gives you light and you reject that light, that light that God wanted to give you becomes lightning. And there's not a man, a woman, or a child on this planet anywhere that God doesn't deal with. He so loved the world, he said he gave his only begotten son. You think he's going to give his only begotten son and not try to reach every last person on this planet? I want to close with this little illustration. I heard this story, and I heard it again recently. I heard it years ago. There's a guy in Africa, head of a chief, a head of his tribe, walking down a dirt road back in the middle of nowhere, laying on the grounds a little blue pamphlet. He picks that pamphlet up, and he reads it. And you know what that pamphlet is? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a gospel track. You know what that man had been doing while he's walking down that path in Africa somewhere? Thinking about God. Thinking about the truth. Didn't know the truth. Picks it up and reads it. Goes back to his tribe and reads it to them. The whole tribe got saved. Missionaries find them later already born again. And God sends a missionary there to teach them the Bible. Because a guy's walking down a dirt path somewhere. And he's looking for the real God and doesn't know who he is. And there it is. When I was in Bible college, I'll never forget a testimony of a Chinese guy that was standing on the street corner in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And the light was about to change and he was standing there and he looked up at the stars and he was looking, Chinese, atheist. And he said, God, you have to be there. You just have got to be, there's just got to be a God. And right then somebody from school said, hey, can I give you a gospel tract? Tells you what the Bible says about Jesus Christ and how you can know for sure when you die you're going to heaven. He got saved. You know why? Because God's so big and so powerful that he sees the heart of any individual that wants the truth and God will give them more truth. Now this brings me full circle to where I started. This is specific for some of you. If you're called to preach, God knows where he wants to send you. If you're called to a mission field, God knows where he wants to send you. God's got them taken care of. He doesn't need you. You prepare, you learn, you grow, you do what you're supposed to do now, and God will work the rest of it out. He's got them covered. You got friends and family you want to witness to? 
God's working on them. If they don't want God, there's nothing you can do. Ask God to send you to the one who's looking. And I'll be willing to bet you everybody in this place can get one person saved this year. One person. If you ask God to send you to somebody who's looking. All right, let's pray.